Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and I'm here at the Designers Guild flagship store on the King's Road. There may be some background noise during this episode. And I'm here with my co-presenter, Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors. Today, we're going to enjoy a masterclass in product design with our very special guest, Trisha Guild. Trisha Guild is one of my all-time design heroes, and I am totally starstruck at the prospect of interviewing her today. Awarded an OBE in 2008 for services to interior design, Trisha is an honorary fellow of the Royal College of the Arts and was named number one in the Telegraph's list of Britain's most famous female interior designers. She founded Designers Guild 50 years ago in 1970, and the company has since been the recipient of so many awards, including the Queen's Award for Export Achievement twice, the Textile Institute Gold Medal for Outstanding Contribution to International Textiles, and following their online launch in 2008, the Microsoft Prize for Best Use of Technology, Designers Guild is ranked as one of the top three most recognised brands across Europe and has been voted Best British Brand by Elle Decoration. Their ranges include 9,000 fabrics alone and has a turnover of more than £50 million. But as well as fabrics, they sell furniture, trimmings, ceramics, glass, wallpaper, paint, bed and table linen, rugs, home fragrances and tableware. They are celebrating their 50th birthday with the publication of a new book entitled Out of the Blue and are being honoured with a wonderful exhibition of the same name at the Fashion and Textile Museum in London. We are extraordinarily privileged to have the opportunity today to talk to Tricia about her design inspirations and how she develops those ideas into the beautiful finished products that grace the homes of discerning consumers all over the world. Welcome to the Interior Design Business. We are indeed very privileged to be here with you, Tricia. Now, this is the 50th anniversary of Designers Guild. How did it all begin? <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Um, <laughs> after listening to that, I I'm, I'm, can hardly say a word. <laughs> it began out of the blue. Um, I was training as an interior designer. I did a lot of interior design work, but I felt that I wanted to work in a different way. I wanted to create textiles and wall coverings at that time and create my own lifestyle. That word didn't really exist at the time, but that's what I really wanted to do so that other people could use what I was saying in their way. And actually, I've never changed that concept. So, so what sort of fabrics were missing at the time? What, what were the gaps that you were seeing that you know you were you were doing work for interior design clients, but you wanted certain things and you couldn't find them in the marketplace, which obviously drove you to, to start doing your own ranges. What, what specifically were the, was missing? Well, I think I wanted to work with a contemporary language, although, albeit, and I loved using colour. Um, that wasn't really available, and it certainly wasn't available on a retail level. I mean, Conran had just started, I think Habitat had just started. Maybe just, yeah. Um, mostly people would go to Sanderson's to a showroom where they would see sort of swatches of fabric or wallpapers. I remember Sanderson's triad collection, all lovely things, but very English, very traditional. And I couldn't really find what I wanted to use. And then I had this love affair with India and I found all these beautiful little block prints. And I thought, you know what, I could, I could 
change these, make my own statement, change the color palette, print them in the UK, and maybe I have something to say. Amazing. Out of the blue. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was going to say, I'd really love to just touch on that and, and go back and explore some of your influences. You mentioned India, but what have been your most inspiring and memorable collections? You know, each collection has its, has its own um, atmosphere and I'm always in love with these collections. You know, it's like saying maybe to a paint, an artist, what's your favorite painting? Because you work on a collection maybe for a year and one has to be very, very selective about a collection. Um, so I suppose, you know, the first one was amazing. Um, I had 60 fabrics and I could only afford 30. And of those, I think at that time, we printed 20 yards of each. Um, so that was an extraordinary time. And at the exhibition, we've tried to pick on the most kind of important moments out of those many years. And we launch collections twice a year. So um, Indian Summer, we did this exhibition called Indian Summer, which again was reinventing something that was really inspired by India. And I think that always comes somehow into my vocabulary. And that was incredibly successful. And we decided to take this old warehouse, actually in Wandsworth, and we just, I don't know, maybe you came to that actually. I but it, did undoubtedly you? did. And I, and one of, I still have um, one of those fabrics is in my daughter's bedroom, one of the Indian colors. or something. Yes. Yeah. They were gorgeous things. Um, so, you know, each collection really has its moment. And then there was a collection called Angles, which I loved, which was very contemporary for the time. And that didn't really work financially because it was like too much of a jump um, from all the watercolor fabrics that, you know, as I talk to you, I'm thinking, well, what about Cave? What about that first collection with Cave Facet? That was yes. amazing. Well, I was going to ask you about some of your collaborations that you've done with, with, with artists and Cave Facet. Of course, I remember him as a knitwear designer. Um, you know, his stuff was fantastic. Oh, it was gorgeous. That's why I went to see him because I wanted to actually buy one of his sweaters. And I walked in um, to his studio and there was this beautiful painting collage on the wall of geranium, a big geranium pot. It's in the exhibition actually. And I said, oh, I see a fabric there, Cave. Will you make some, will you, will you design some fabrics with us? Um, I didn't have a studio at that time. I was just working with bits of Pantone and colors and threads. And that's how I was working. And so. hand drawing things? Were you doing or did you have someone that you was helping you to actually? No, I didn't at the f in the initially no, because we worked from these Indian block prints. And Got it. then and then I started working with Cave and then opened my own studio. And you're clearly inspired by plants and flowers. I am, yes. Tell us about your favourite gardens and why <laughs> the outside is such an important interior inspiration for you. Well, you know, I'm a landscape person. I, you know, I've always loved, I think my first memory is my grandfather had a, a small garden and I was given a tiny little patch in that garden and some seeds and, you know, growing seeds. And, it, you know, to me, it's a vital part of my 
essential life. Do you remember what you grew? I think it was nasturtiums. Oh, lovely. Which so I again, really still grow. coloured and, and yes. <laughs> well, also they're Good edible. to eat. Yes. <laughs> Very good. And I love cooking and I, you know, the whole, it's all part of lifestyle for me. I've always wanted what we're doing here in our store is to show different ways of using whatever it is we're working on our products. And I think Everybody needs inspiration. It's difficult choosing. It's difficult selecting. And um, our job is to be there for interior designers so that they can bring their clients here or to inspire them into maybe not the way I use a collection, but I always love to show the collection in a certain way. It's sort of like, for me, it's the end cycle. We're working in the studio from you know day one on a collection, and it goes through a process. I love printing. Um, I love that actual process of finalizing every color palette, and then to me, you know, the main thing is seeing it in a lifestyle because that's what it's about. It's not an abstract form. So, um, and that's what the store has always been about, really. And which gardens would you go to if you find yourself needing? inspiration or a creative burst? Well, I'll always be happy to go back to Sissinghurst. Oh, yes. And Arnie Maynard, who I've worked with for years, his gardens, his own garden is just gorgeous. Um, that's in Wales. So um, my garden's quite nice <laughs> and I'm out there every day, whether it's here or in Italy. So, um, but I'll go anywhere to see a garden, actually. Okay. And you've also, you've always been an avid collector of the, of the crafts that inspire you too. Yes. What do you collect and can you describe how some of these objects have influenced your designs? Well, I suppose the very first collections I worked, didn't work with, but I collected with Clarice Clear from Carlton Ware. I mean, that was sort of way back. That was the first thing I put into the I store. I can totally see that though, actually. And it, yeah. and it all worked yeah. with CAFE. And then um, I started working with Carol McNichol, who's a wonderful potter, and Janice Chilenko, and we sold their work here. And it was the first time I think people had sold one-off work or could see one-off work, not in a gallery situation, because I wanted people to use these things. Um, so, and Janice, in fact, ended up um, uh, designing a collection for us. She sadly just passed away, but um, she was a wonderful inspiration. Now we work with, I mean, we'll work with anybody from uh, going to all the end of year shows, St. Martin's, new designers. Unfortunately, this year wasn't on, but I love to work with new designers or somebody like Amy Hughes, Kate McBride, you know, even Bruce McLean, the artist, he's producing beautiful ceramics. So, and that's very exciting because it, it just adds another level. And yeah, I love that. A, th a third dimension too, obviously. And you've mentioned both Italy, because I think you have a, a beautiful home in Italy, yes. and, but also what an, what an amazing influence India is for you. Yes. You're clearly influenced by travel. Are there other parts of the world that you have found particularly inspiring or have based collections on? And has Italy directly um, fed into any of your recent collections? Well, Italy is so much part for me, it's being in the countryside and the landscape is wonderful, but also being so close um, 
to wonderful historical artists. You know, um, if you can go into Florence and the Masaccio Chapel, some of the, or Venice to see the Veronese uh, frescoes. There's so much there, and the colors are amazing. So um, that's kind of, I suppose, what I, the food's great, <laughs> love about Italy, and they're very welcoming people. I'm a real European, I will add. Um, so that has been a big influence. Um, Japan was a big influence on me, actually, because they are so disciplined about the way they look at things. Um, I think it cleared my head rather going to Japan. I love that. I love, I love going there as well. And then Scandinavia in another way. So I, I've always been so grateful that part of my work is traveling, or shall I say, was. Um, but hopefully that's going to resume and again. Yes. And then India, I think I've been to every year, every year. Yeah, there's something about it that's always touched my heart, whether it's the spirit of the people or obviously the people we work with, the looms, the originally, you know, going to villages and seeing all the hand looms. And the light? Do you find the light in different places? Yeah, impacts? I mean, the northern light is extraordinary and the southern light is extraordinary as well. And I think both work really love colour. <laughs> But then white is a colour, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is indeed. It is indeed. And you also mentioned initially that you, you love uh, going into some of the, the very ancient sites and looking at the paintings, Veronese yes. and so on and so forth. I know you've also had a, a relationship with the Royal Collection, which was something that I particularly loved, some of those early collections. Uh, how did that come about? That was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, we were asked if we would like to um, produce collection, you know, for the royal household, which we were absolutely, I was so excited by that because it's a completely different discipline. Her Majesty has to keep the art collection going, and you know that is there is and so, things wear out. Yeah, but it but that needs funds. So um, looking after the and preserving the art collection is is part of what they have to do. And so, as there will be a, a museum shop. Um, when you go to Buckingham Palace, you know, that's all to create funds for to And were you keep given a sort of going. carte blanche to select the fabrics that you were to be included? Yes, because we, we didn't have to reproduce fabrics that are there. That none of them are just reproductions of what we see. They're reproductions, they're not, they're created for that. So it might be a little bit of a painting or some beautiful ceramics that we find, or it might be, you know, colors of a particular space in, in one of the palaces. So only the Queen's palaces. So um, it was incredibly creative, but on a very different way from my normal collections because it has to actually, you know, work within the, the royal household, in a way, and I believe she does see everything. So that's amazing. It's <laughs> amazing. And just, the, just lastly, do you ever, because you know, with fifty years behind you, do you ever find yourself dipping back into your own archive for inspiration, or is it fresh every time? Well, I certainly to create the exhibition, we we looked at everything, and that was very thought provoking. Um, I don't like being repetitive, and I hope I'm not. So I would say that that's 
I can look at all of those collections and um, hope that I've done my best for each of them because that's, you know, one never knows. You launch collections twice a year and you absolutely never know what, what you guys are going to think of it. So the only thing you can know is that you've done your best and you believe in it. And that's how I work. Um, of course, we have a lot more information than we've ever had and what wonderful team of marketing and salespeople and that is absolutely vital. But at the same time, you cannot design by committee. Uh, at the end of the day, somebody has to make that choice. And so you have to have that feeling inside your guts to say, okay, um, that's the one. We'll go with that. Or no, let we, that's something wrong with that. Let's just change that. Let's just move that. Is something not quite right about it? And so, and that's what I love doing. Brilliant. Your first love seems to be printed fabrics, yeah. but you early on introduced planes into the collections. What's their role within the ranges? Oh, well, it's vital um, because, yes, my first, I mean, I love printed decorative fabrics, but I really love plain fabrics too. And a lot of people will only use our plain fabrics. And I think the collection, 60% of it now is plain. One of the reasons perhaps we didn't first launch plain fabrics was it is a, it's a different kind of investment because, you know, our collections of planes, usually they have from 60 to 150 colors in them. Well, that is a bit of a different investment than the 30 items that I had to start with. So as soon as we could... And what sort of production runs, just to put it into some sort of context for the listeners, when you're talking about, you know, 100 or 60, 60 colours in one fabric, for example, would yeah. you be producing, how many hundreds of metres of each would you be producing? Well, every collection is different. It depends where it's made, where it's woven, where it's printed. Um, so, but, you know, we have to have a lot of, everything is in stock. Unlike fashion, where I, I believe I'm, not involved in fashion but when we launch a collection everything is in in our warehouse from the moment I mean nobody's seen it but it's in our warehouse so that is a you know quite a big thing and but we have more you know fashion I guess has a, a life of six months we have a much longer life and how do you go about achieving that balance in your collections as well because you've got planes textures colors how do you actually work out what that balance is going to be? Well, you know, I have, <laughs> I have a great team. My brother is my partner and he's a, a businessman um, and um, he sets a budget. <laughs> and our finance <laughs> director it will set a budget and <laughs> we don't go over budget. I have to go begging if I want to go over budget. Well, I please, do sometimes. Please, please, can I have another colourway <laughs> in this one? <laughs> no. In that case, you must take something out. <laughs> so it's a real so, balance between creative and, and what's is. practical for the business. But it's always been because, you know, from the first collection, I had to pay the bills. Cool. If you can't, you know, and you have to learn that very quickly when you're on your own and when so you're first working. Does it get easier the bigger the business no, gets? I don't think it does. I think it's more demanding. I, I work more than I've ever worked, I think. 
so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and you're also known for being extremely bold with the scale of your designs. Yes. What's the biggest print you've done to date? It's a bit of a random question. Oh, for goodness sake. Well, our wall, scenes and murals, our wall panels, um, you know, they are, I don't know, four meters wide. So um, that's really exciting. And with digital printing, which at first I don't think had the quality that it now has, we've been very careful where we print and how we use digital printing, but it's changed everything. And it's changed it in a very positive way. It doesn't mean we only have to digitally print, but what it means is it, the mark is completely faithful to the original. Yes. And we're no longer having to think in you know small repeat or how many screens we're going to yes. use. I mean, so many years it was, how many screens can we go to make that beautiful mark? Um, and we, we, we put a huge effort into that. And now we put a huge effort in, well, to everything we do, whatever aspect it is, whether it's a piece of furniture or, or a beautiful piece of fabric or a plain fabric texture. I mean, look at these new walls. They are just... Yes, I was admiring the back of this cushion I'm leaning against. It. God, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, so whatever it is, you know, it, it has to work. It has to have the quality that, that, it, that we're searching for, um, whether it's a rug or a cushion. You know, every product is its own thing. How long are most of the collections in production for? You, you, I know you release two new collections a year, but yes. do you find you, does that mean you're also dropping two a year? No. As we sort of grow, we do discontinue, but we keep everything for a minimum of five years so that our designers, when they're buying our books, are not frightened of the, you the know, investment. Next year, that's not going to work or people can come back and they can start. And so does that mean that the collections, because they, they, they seem to me to be sort of um, standalone capsules, I think, more than, do you find that you have one collection builds on the next, builds on the next, builds on the next? So that, for example, somebody was buying your books, they would be able to buy the next season's books and they would still work with the previous Absolutely. ones? Absolutely, especially with other than, you know, printed fabrics, perhaps. The, all the stripes, all, all the different geos that we make. I mean, Work across really, a, yeah, range of, a range of time. See, that's another level of complication that must make the thought process behind what you're doing even more exacting, actually. Well, it's quite exciting because you're looking at, you know, I'm looking at something like the, that woven velvet. It's woven and then it's printed. That will stay in the collection for a long time. And, and so it should. Yeah, you know. no. Um, Hopefully they're timeless. You just said you had some original I fabric. So I do. <laughs> timeless indeed. It is, it is. And I still love it. I'm so sorry when it was discontinued. Well, it's often the way it's used as well, which changes. And yeah. So hopefully they're timeless. And Designers Guild has had its own in-house design studio since 1984, I believe. How many people are in the team? How's that team organised? And, and what's the thinking behind that studio and setting it up? Well, obviously, I, I had to have my own team because that was the only way that I could really, um, I think, move on in a way and create what we're creating now. So we, uh, we're divided into artists that are painting, um, team that are more concerned with actually bringing that product to market, 
um, the quality of it, what you know, and then a photographic team which carries on. So it's it's a whole sort of floor of different creative people, and I love you know I dip into all of that, whatever it is that comes from this company, whether it's a piece of furniture or a tag or you know how how we'll gift wrap our presents, whatever it is. I'm sort of a bit of a uh, uh, I like to see everything. <laughs> well, I Freak. was going to ask how how has your role changed over the years? Because it must be very different now to to when you started, or is it? Actually? It's not really. Just do more. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what's different is my team, because as you grow, you you have more of a team and a more developed team and you kind of develop a language and I love that and I, we wouldn't be what we are without our team of people in whatever area they are. You know, people matter and I've always felt that. And have so, many of them been with you for a long time? Yes. 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 So, and so I think both is good, you know, um, yeah, 30, 35 years, some, oh, wow. some people or it might be somebody from college. I think it's really important. Mark Homewood, who runs all our retail, he's been with us, I think, 35 years. We have the same language and we enjoy working together. The same with the studio, same with the product development team or, you know, whoever it is. How many people have you got in the team, would you say now? In the, in the creative in team. In the design team, yeah. In the design team, there's about, uh, about 10 people, but my creative team... There's about 30 people. Okay. But that covers every, every aspect from uh, PR to um, Instagram yeah. to a design to... And then I was just going to say, you touched on um, product, um, the product development. How do you go about finding the mills? And are, this, are they tend to be the same mills that you've worked with in India and Italy and various places for a long time? Or are you always looking for new factories and new fabric bases and new sources? We're always looking for new sources. At the same time, I think developing a language with different people who, you know, understand you is is vitally important so it's both you know you have to see everything new you have to go to the exhibitions and know who's you know who's making what at the same time you're working with a mill that you've worked with for a long time and they understand you and you're developing language it's part of a team so I think both are really important Hmm. if you were setting up today do you think that would be easier or harder because so much of of what was there in 1970 was based in the UK and on your doorstep, I guess, rather than perhaps now it's it's not. Well, travelling's never really worried me, so I love going to all those exhibitions. I go to the Saloni in, in Milan um, Furniture Fair because I find it very stimulating. So, you know, exhibitions, no, I think they're really important. I was thinking maybe more in terms of the production of the fabrics, because I remember from the exhibition there was a, a company in Hull that was yes. was on was effectively on your doorstep, and I, I'm not sure that that sort of business would necessarily exist. It doesn't, sadly. Yeah. We work in the UK where we can, um, but uh, it's not always possible. Quite often, it's not possible. So we'll work wherever it is that we can produce that product. Would it be easier now? I don't think so. It was difficult then. People didn't think I was had 
anything to say and you know they thought I was this kind of young I was a woman anyway oh not even I was a girl and that wasn't going to be taken seriously working so there were different difficulties then I'm not saying it's it's not like that now but I think it it is a bit different now so I don't know you know I think it's always difficult actually it's 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 tough starting something. So I was just going to ask you, I know you've always loved and used a mixture of different printing techniques. I was just wondering if you could tell us perhaps a little bit about them and, and how and where they're produced. Um, printing is, is just wonderful, you know, starting with rotary prints that... Um, <laughs> I remember the first time we, we printed um, on a rotary machine, the factory, which is up, in, up north, insisted on working all night. 24 hours and the only way you could actually um, print there at that time because we had no pull at all was to work for 24 hours um, and nap between and at a certain stage I said do you know what I'm not producing the best product at, the, the, at two in the morning when I can't do it. And so they started realizing that might not be possible anymore <laughs> and that we could only work a 12 hour day. Um, anyway, it was fun. <laughs> I remember climbing over a gate some at Stamfast <laughs> um, because they'd forgotten to open the gate at four in the morning. And you were locked in. Yeah, I was oh, locked out. Oh, you were locked out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, going off the point. That's a great story. <laughs> but um, yeah, so. There's something quite wonderful about these great big rollers and rotary prints and, you know, that first print run when you just get the colors exactly as, as you, you know, you're searching for. Um, digital printing makes that slightly easier because the sampling is exact, so it changes it. Wallpapers, I love to go print wallpapers. I mean, the process is, uh, yeah, it's still, it can be... It still can be screen printed or rotary printed um, or digital printing. And um, that works just as well in India as, I mean, the, the technology uh, in India now is amazing. The factories are just beautiful. And so whether it's in India or in Italy or in um, Carlisle, uh, what we're looking for is excellence and that's what we get so it's down to the professionalism of the teams in those mills yes and and, and production facilities yes. that are, that so are we'll go giving where, you the quality that you need we'll we will go wherever we're going to find the right product and do you find those companies are approaching you to produce your product yes, yes. yeah people are wanting to work with us or we're wanting to work with them but yes and I guess that's very different now from in the beginning. You, you mentioned that you're just working all the time. You work constantly. Does that mean that you work here in London, but you also work from your home in Italy? Yes, because I'm sort of always working Thinking in a way. all the time. Well, I think that inspiration can come from anywhere. So, you know, who knows where inspiration is going to come from, from going to look at a painting or going to the opera or listening to a piece of music in a strange way. So it doesn't mean to say that I'm in the studio 24 hours a day. I'm not. And in fact, we've always had a kind of way of working. Um, my brother agrees with me that uh, we don't want people to work 
late, late, late hours because I think, you know, everything, it has to be well, a they balance. Get, they get stale. Yeah, it, it doesn't really work. Obviously, if we're working and we're setting up an exhibition or we're on a photo shoot, it's something different. So, um, but I don't have to separate. Some people, they'll say, well, I'm away for a week. I'm not going to look at my emails. I can't do that. I'd much rather check in, answer quickly, and then it's done. So I, I kind of quite organized. I like to get things done. I and find that works Are you better. able to relax? Do you, do you find once you've done that, you've, you've checked in, you've done your emails, you can then go and potter in the garden? Or prepare yes. a meal or go and look at a picture? Yes, as long as, 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 long as it's dealt with properly. <laughs> and if not, I try and take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you have for interior designers thinking about getting into product design? Is there any advice that you could offer, do you think? And product design is great. And if somebody wants to do that, why not try it? It's what you then do with it and how you sell it and where you sell it. So it's not just a question of product design. I think it's important to go and see what's available. You know, you've got some sort of product that you're desperate to work on and, and to know, you know, how is that going to be sold? What is the price point? Where is it going to be sold? who can make it for you and go to the exhibitions that are relevant to that. You know, so if you want to design glassware, go to Paris, go to Maison et Objet and see actually what's on the market because it might be that that kind of product is available at 15 pounds a glass, not being made one off at 115 pounds. You know, you have to kind of have a business sense about it, I think. That, that would be my advice. See what's available, see what's on the market. I was terribly fond too of DGD, Designers Guild Distribution, which used to be just around yes. the corner and down on, on Old Church Street. Yes. What was the driver for setting that up and why did you finish it? We didn't really finish it because we still have Ralph Lauren um, we decided that we wanted to work more closely with people like Ralph Lauren or Christian Lacroix yes. or William Yeoard, um, Royal Collection. So instead of just being an agent for those people, we wanted to bring it in-house and create and help create those brands in home where they possibly didn't exist mm -hmm. as like Lacroix. So it sort of changed and there are, you know, those fabrics are still beautiful that perhaps we sold through DG Distribution, but the main ones we sort of kept, but we've changed the way we work right. with them. Oh, that's really interesting because it was a very different handwriting to the core Designers Guild Well, we ranges. still have that. Ralph Lauren is completely it's very different. different. Yes. Um, Lacroix is completely different so and, and my role in that is different as well. Which it, but it's exciting because I'm sort of sitting there looking at something in a very objective way. Will it work? And do you sometimes have to say to them, I don't think that will work? I it, can't imagine having that conversation with Christian Lacroix. Uh, yes, we do. <laughs> How does he take it? <laughs> well, you know, it's Sasha Volkov who, it is. who is the designer there. We work really well together. Yeah, I love working with him. And you know, at the end of the day, it's our investment. So 
we have to have that last word. Absolutely. As long ago as 1971, you showed your very first village collection, which we touched on earlier, but you showed it in fully furnished room sets. Now, why did you decide to do that? And was there anybody else that was doing that at the time? I felt that I was creating possibly a new language and how would people understand it? And I found it very difficult to be inspired by going to various fabric showrooms, although the fabrics would absolutely beautiful. But you're just looking at swatches in a book. And it's so difficult to, mm. to select. So I thought the only way this is going to work is if I give people some sort of inspiration. And okay, well, that was a tiny part of the store that you're now in because we have now nine shops um, all put together. So the concept hasn't changed. And I think it's really important and I can see it's important. You know, people, it's very difficult. People want to create a new language. They're either coming here with their designers or, you know, we, we do a lot of interior design work from the store, um, which is brilliant. But, and it, it helps them to be more selective. I suspect it's an idea that's been much copied. My, 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 my sneaking suspicion is that you actually kind of came up with that because I don't think, I mean, possibly Habitat and Conrad and people might have been doing similar yes. at the time but pretty much nobody else and they weren't producing their own ranges of fabrics were they no i don't know maybe well that would be nice if you think that <laughs> maybe i think it we'll but. just we'll just we'll just let that one i think it we'll let that one stand <laughs> well i don't think it was available and i uh, there was a sort of fear about retail and um i've always loved both I love designers coming here and working with us. I think it's fantastic seeing how they work. They work differently, whatever. And I love people coming here. They might want a cappuccino or they might want some tableware house. or a whole house designed. And we're available for all of that. And then you started writing books from as early on as 1980. Mm. So what do you enjoy about writing and producing books? And where on earth do you find the time? Well, I love, I love books because they get to so many more people. And I think that's really exciting. Um, one of the first books, well, actually it wasn't the first book, it was a book on colour. Um, when I was in India, I was at a, visiting a school and talking to them about colour. Not that they need any help from me, but I saw my book in their library and I was just thought, this is fantastic. It was so exciting. Um, so I love that idea of sharing and, and, and talking to a much larger audience or to younger people. You know, if I can offer something, then I think that's fantastic. It's really exciting. And photo shoots are also really important. How, how do you go about planning, planning those? Oh, they're really exciting because you're working on a new collection. You've just sort of been finished with the printer. And, and it's how we see that collection, how it can be used and we find amazing lo locations and I've got a whole team that I work with and for me you know that is oh my goodness that is the most frightening and exciting time because as I said it's what we've been working on for a year in an abstract form but it has to be used it's about using these products and living with them and actually knowing how they work and understanding them and that's what's important I don't see a piece of fabric in, in, in an abstract form you know, it's got to be used and lived with. 
I have heard that colour is so fundamental to you that since childhood you have sometimes experienced days of the week as particular colours. Um, for example, Monday is pale blue, Thursday is lime green, Friday is brown and Sunday is pink. Yes. When did you first become aware of this incredible personal response to colour? Don't you have that? No. I do, but <laughs> I'm not being interviewed. <laughs> um, I just have these, I, I don't know, it's just always been so important to me. You know, I have this very strong memory of my grandfather's garden and I was looking, at, I must have been four, and I was looking at the sky and I remember that blue and he grew this beautiful wisteria and I remember those mauve blossoms and those bright green leaves and it's always been part of who I am, I think. So, oh, it's wonderful. You know, and, and that's what's so extraordinary about the landscape or growing or even cooking or how do you, you know, how do you present food? You know, what are the colors of that food? I do not want to only eat a brown meal. So, you know, it's things like that. I'm always growing herbs and adding to it and I, I don't know. So this has been a it's fundamental part of you. A weird thing. Yes. And the color palette of the 70s, I mean, I remember that. It was brown and beige were pretty much... You know, yeah, that, there, there wasn't much colour around. There wasn't a lot of colour. So how radical did you think, did you feel you were? I didn't really feel that. I just felt that it it was exciting. And then um, I had this old white mini and I sprayed it, that lime green. Oh, wow. And then re-upholstered the whole thing in a fabric called gibweed, which was like a little um, little green, green and white. Um, seaweed thing and it was I so wish I had that car <laughs> it was just gorgeous <laughs> so uh, I suppose I was a bit eccentric then but there you go <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much I mean it's been a fascinating conversation thank oh, you thank you it's been really fun Thank you so much, Tricia, for being so generous with your time today. That was indeed a masterclass in product design. And for anyone who hasn't managed to get there yet, the Designers Guild exhibition entitled Out of the Blue is on at the Museum of Fashion and Textile in London until the 21st of February 2021. And it's a must see for anyone interested in product or interior design. You can find the interior design business on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on-demand services everywhere. We're on Twitter at InDesignPod and on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.